It was great singing that um, first song we did today because um, it was just talking about praising God through um, difficult circumstances, and it's kind of the heart of what we're of what I'm talking about today um, with uh, looking at the book of Habakkuk. Um, so we've talked quite a lot recently about um, encounter at Mosaic, and we can have an image in our heads of encounter with God as being something that happens in the good times of our Christian life. When we're, we're on the mountaintop, that's when we encounter God. Um, and sometimes Christians are, or different churches are called happy clappy, and it's like it's a phrase that's talking about kind of exuberant worship, but it's not usually meant as a compliment. It's usually sort of saying that Christians are a bit in denial of reality, maybe um, a little bit shallow, a little bit insincere, not connected with real life. Um, but I don't believe that's what our faith is, and it's certainly not what comes across in the Bible. Like so much of the Bible was written um, either by or for people who were going through um, horrendous difficulties and suffering, and it's really, really honest about that. Um, and so Habakkuk is a book like that. Um, he is a man who is, has a very honest dialogue with God about what's going on in his nation, and I think it'll be really good to see what we can learn in that time. Um, we're going to talk about what we can learn from him about what noble suffering looks like. Not an easy topic, but I hope it will be, it will be useful for us. Um, but first, before we go to the book itself, um, I'd just like to like, think a little bit about suffering in the world. Um, and just do a little experiment. Um, don't worry, it's not a trick, but if you wouldn't mind just lifting up an arm or a leg and then putting it back down again, lift it up, put it back down again. Um, unless you have like a particular illness or an injury or a disability, um, when you do that, you probably don't feel it too much. It's not too difficult. Um, but the truth is that um, if you kept tried to keep your arm up for a little bit longer, it would start to hurt. It would start to start to feel pain, and you wouldn't be able to keep it up there for very long. Um, and there's a reason for that, and we know it as gravity. It's a force that pulls everything towards the ground. Like I said, most of the time we don't even really notice it, um, but it's there all the time, and everything we do takes effort, and everything we do uses energy. And there are certain times in our lives, like if we're ill or really tired, we'll suddenly find that we really feel that gravity. Um, maybe it feels tough just to even even stand or, or walk. Um, and I'd like to suggest that there's not just a physical gravity that's working in our lives, but that there's a spiritual gravity that's always at work in our lives too. And that's called sin. Um, and we talk about sin a lot as Christians. Um, but like, why is it such a strong, a strong force in our world? Well, there's a scripture in 1 John 5 verse 19. And it says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, or Satan. And there's other scriptures in the Bible where Satan is described as the prince, or the ruler, or the God. Note the small g of this world. And that isn't saying for one moment that God isn't sovereign over all. Um, the Bible's really clear about it. The Bible calls God the creator and the sustainer of the world. He's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the almighty. Like he's, the, 
He's the chief executive. He's the boss. There is no doubt about that. And Satan's uh, uh, power on earth is and influence is temporary. If you like, Satan's the pretender on the throne. Um, He's manipulating and ruling simply by deception. He's called the father of all lies. He blinds people to the truth about God. Um, And we see that throughout the whole Bible. We see it right from the start um, in Genesis. Um, When God created the world, the world was his. It was in this perfect harmony. Um, And he made human beings and he gave them dominion and told them to to rule over or manage the earth. Like it was all perfect. Humans ruled the earth under the rule of God. But Satan was looking for a chance to overthrow God. And he managed to deceive Eve and Adam into thinking that they didn't have it all. That they needed to become like God to be complete. They'd already been made in God's image, but God somehow managed to persuade that Satan somehow managed to persuade them that that wasn't enough. And Adam and Eve fell for this trick, and they rebelled against God, trying to become their own gods. And that's sin. And in doing that, they stepped out from under his authority, handed their authority over to Satan, and literally, you see, all hell break loose. And this perfect harmony um, comes to an abrupt end. And this act of sin, uh, stepping out from under God's authority, just leads to this spread of death and pain and injustice and hate and suffering that we still see today. And this has carried on for centuries. We can look at God and say, where was God in this? But the truth is, he was always looking to rescue people. But people had been given authority on the earth to manage it, but all of them were... Um, infected by sin. So who was going to rescue the earth? Thankfully, we know that Jesus, being both God and man, was able to come and do that job. Um, He was able to live the perfect life as a man that man always failed to do. And in his death, um, he paid for our sin, and then he raised us up with him into heavenly places, um, fully restored, giving us back that... um, that obedience so that we could be called worthy of being his representatives and ambassadors again on the earth. We can rule from under his rule again, fully restored. So the world is still under the influence of the evil one, but we are not. When we put our trust in God, he's taken us from this power of sin to righteousness, from deception to truth and from darkness to light. It's so powerful. As we saw before, um, gravity is this constant force, Um, being exerted on us. But there are things that defy gravity, um, like planes and bees. Um, Just when you think about a bee and you look at a picture of it, it's tiny wings and it's big body. You just wonder how on earth does it fly. But it is possible. (laughs) And things fly because of a law called lift. Um, And lift just means... Yeah, I'm not a greatly scientific person, but it means that there's a force... Um, lifting that object or that thing that is greater than the force of gravity. Um, And there are some people that are really good at looking like they defy gravity, and they've got the video of this guy with the trampoline. Um, I can't remember this guy's name, but if you do get a chance to uh, look at him on YouTube, you'll probably find him. Um, So he uses a trampoline as a means of Uh, looking like he's defying gravity. Every time he falls back, it looks like he floats back up to the steps. Um, 
it's pretty amazing. And he spends his life, like the discipline he must need to practice to make himself look like that. I think I'll probably keep watching that, to be honest, while I keep speaking. Um, But yeah, is there a spiritual equivalent to this lift that he's experiencing from the trampoline um, for our lives? Well, I think there is. Um, And I think that spiritual lift is is our faith. Um, Our faith in God. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. Um, And faith lifts us because it takes us from our physical human realities um, into into a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. Um, We live in physical bodies and our senses tell us things all the time. So the physical reality can just feel really real. Um, But the truth that God says is actually the spiritual realm is more real and is more powerful than the physical one. And when we have faith, like God lifts us into that place. And we see um, gravity and lift shown several, well, all the time through the Bible. Uh, like one of the scriptures it's quite clear is John 16, verse 33, um, where Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That's the gravity. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the lift, uh, being lifted in Christ into his victory and his overcoming. And so I think that although flight defies gravity, I don't think it denies it. And I think the same is true with our faith. Our faith defies suffering but it, and sin, but it never denies it. The two um, coexist together. Like um, flight, faith is just a higher place, it's a higher law, it's a greater reality. And it connects us to God and his rule, his overcoming and his power. And that's a place where, where God's comfort is higher than our grief. His healing is higher than our sickness. His love is higher than our fear. His peace is higher than our worry. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Like flight gives us real, true, heavenly perspective and we see things as they were always meant to be. Um, so after that quite long introduction, um, I want to look at Habakkuk now and just think about where do we see this flight and gravity? Where do we see this faith and suffering? So if you get a chance to read Habakkuk, um, I really recommend it. Um, it's three chapters, just three chapters, but with some really amazing amazing stuff in it. Um, And Habakkuk lived in Judah, which is Israel's southern kingdom. And he lived there between the fall of Nineveh and this um, invasion from the Babylonians. Um, So around 612 to 588 BC. Um, And he's grouped with some of the other prophets like Obadiah, Nahum and Zephaniah. And they all prophesied around the the same time. But Actually, it's a poem of lament. So unlike some of the other Old Testament prophets, they would speak from God to Israel. But this is actually a personal sort of back and forth dialogue between Habakkuk and God um, about the situation of the nation and God's response to it. Um, And it's useful to think about what lament is. So lament can be described as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow 
a complaint expressing regret or disappointment. So I just want to read a little bit from uh, chapter 1. This is where um, Habakkuk brings his first complaint to God. So he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? And why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Now you can see from this that the nation that Habakkuk was living in um, is a mess. Uh, God's laws are being neglected. Violence is tolerated by corrupt leaders and nothing seems to change. You could really easily just copy and paste that prayer and those sentiments into where we are today and the way the world is. And that's the, that's the gravity and the suffering and the pain that we see in Habakkuk. And he has um, two main issues that he brings to God because of all this. He says, God, why do you seem indifferent to all of this? And why does all this sin and wickedness seem to go unpunished? Now, God responds to him um, and says to Habakkuk that he will address Habakkuk's concerns about the wickedness in Israel by raising up the nation of Babylon, and he will use them to overthrow Israel, even though God describes the Babylonian people as guilty people whose strength is their God. Habakkuk has a serious problem with this. Um, So he comes back to God and he says, Babylon is worse than Israel. Why would you tolerate them as a solution? Aren't you using those who are more wicked to punish those who are less wicked? Um, And I think he has some really good points. Um, But I think it's it's good just to stop there and think about um, Habakkuk's response here. Because it would have been really easy for him to just end the dialogue there. He's heard some really difficult some challenging things that it's hard for him to accept and understand. But he doesn't walk away there. Um, He doesn't dismiss uh, God as uncaring or um, the conversation as too challenging. Um, He keeps engaging with God. He actually doesn't um, in any point question God's character, but he does keep bringing these honest complaints to God. And as we see at the start of chapter 2, Habakkuk says... I will, <clears throat> I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me and answer, and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So this likens waiting on God um, to being like a watchman. And this isn't just some sort of casual, oh, we'll see if, if God answers. Like This is wholehearted listening and wholehearted waiting. Um, watchmen would guard a city, um, watching from the walls for enemies or messengers. Like lives depended on them, and they couldn't fall asleep or lose focus. They had to be awake and alert and observant and ready and expectant. Um, is, that, is that how we, we wait on God? Is that how we listen for him? Because this was Habakkuk's way of, um, of seeking God. Now, God continues to um, reply to Habakkuk. 
Um, the rest of chapter 2, um, God responds by giving um, five woes related to nations like Babylon that practice idolatry, um, that are unjust, that exploit people, um, showing that God sees all this. He's not immune to it. Um, he doesn't overlook it or tolerate it in any form. And God says that although it will take time, eventually Babylon, even as well as Israel, Babylon's acts and their self-trust will one day be their downfall too. All nations are accountable to God's justice. But God says some really powerful things um, about his people in the middle of this that I think are just as, are just as important to note. Um, God calls his people to stand in faith through it all. Um, in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, he says, See, the enemy is puffed up. And his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness or faith. Um, this is a scripture that's quoted three times in the New Testament as well for, about our lives as Christians, that the righteous will live by faith, um, not in what we see, but in a faith, but by faith in God. And there's also a promise in the middle of all of this that God's glory one day will be seen throughout the whole earth. Uh, 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So despite all his questions, uh, Habakkuk still manages to come to a place of, um, of hopeful praise in God for who he is, what he's done, and uh, a belief that God will do again what he's done in the past. Um, and there are some amazing verses at the end that just really express um, the, his belief in the covenant promises of God. Uh, so it's uh, chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, <coughs> Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength, and he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. But I love this because real faith isn't, um, isn't really about the good times. Real faith shows itself in the tough times and in the barren times. And you don't get much more barren than that. Like there's no crops, there's no food. It looks like there's no hope, there's no new life there. Um, but the truth is, like faith can really thrive in the middle um, of and in spite of and can overcome um, times of great suffering. Like it says there, um, uh, you make my feet like the feet of a deer to tread on the heights. Like even in the middle of the most difficult circumstances, God can lift us. Um, to stand on the heights. So as we, as we kind of draw to a close thinking about, about Habakkuk, um, like do, does he find the answers he's looking for from God? Um, the truth is I don't know. Um, and I don't know if I do either from this book particularly. Um, there's this ongoing cycle of revenge and violence in the nations that you see. Um, where they all seem as unjust as each other, and you just wonder where, where is God in this? Where does it end? I guess that's a bigger question than you can find just in the book of Habakkuk. 
But I think what we can learn from Habakkuk is so much about both Habakkuk's and God's response. Um, so it's led me to believe that noble suffering really involves both this direct, like courageous honesty with God about the reality um, of the current state of the world, but also standing in faith, um, faith and trust in God and his promises and his long-term plan and his goodness, because they're not exclusive, they're, they're completely compatible. It's possible to have both at the same time. And this happens when we pray. Um, prayer is not any one thing. Uh, prayer can be that lament. It can be an outpouring of our grief and our questions, our doubts, our fears, our worries. But it can also be declarations of faith and adoration and worship and love and spiritual warfare. Like when we pray, I believe that's how we really express that authority that Jesus um, gave back to us, that victory on the cross, takes us to that higher reality from our temporary human viewpoint um, to God's uh, longer-term plan, his spiritual reality. Um, it's this amazing fusion of God and man in partnership as God works through us, as God op- uses our prayers um, and our words to open people's eyes to his truth. Yeah, and as we draw this to a close, I wanted to just um, share a few things from my own life about what uh, what suffering um, and faith has looked like for me in the last few years. Um, I lost my mum about seven years ago, um, and losing a parent is never is never going to be easy. Um, but there are a couple of things for me that made that even more complex. Um, my mum had quite severe depression for all of her life since she was a teenager Um, and that severely impacted both her life and mine Um, and I was you know a lot of my life as a child as a teenager as an adult um, was a carer for her in many ways like for her uh, mental and emotional health I didn't even realize it at the time um, it was not something people really talked about at the time, and I don't remember ever mentioning it to anyone, what I was experiencing. Um, but I know that after I lost her, it impacted me because I lost that role I had with her. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of years ago when um, Sheila Alty, um managed to find some counselling for me, grief counselling, that I was able to really start to talk about what impact it had had on my life and actually work through it with God. Um, also, uh, my mum was my was the only sort of engaged family in my life. Um, everyone else had either died or were very, like, very distant to the point of being estranged. Um, so losing my mum was a massive impact on me. And living without family in this time, um, it's hard to describe. Uh, I wrote down a few of the words that I've felt in this time. Uh, so I, I felt adrift alone, abandoned, forgotten, stuck, frustrated, angry at times, confused, sometimes just numb, um, and quite often questioning, how did I end up here? Um, Why me? Um, I think those feelings have been there the whole time. I wouldn't say those things have got better. I've learned to deal with things better, but those things have been there 
all the time. I've lived with them every single day of that seven years. Um, and I think that's the reality for many of us here. Um, like some, or a lot of grief and pain and suffering, it doesn't sort of fit into nice, neat boxes or have this nice, neat end date. Um, and it can be really hard to ask for help in those circumstances because you can feel like, uh, feel like a fraud. Um, asking for help again, or this must mean that my faith is weak if I haven't got through this yet. But I don't believe that's the truth at all. We see just how hard life can be, just how strong that gravity is that can pull us uh, downwards. Um, and maybe you might relate to this as well, and I think it would be nice to take some time when we have communion later, just to, if that's you, just feel free to tell somebody. There's no shame in it. If you feel like you're still struggling or you're struggling and you don't know why or life just feels like a struggle, it's okay. It's okay to ask for help in those circumstances and it's good if we have grace for each other in that. And so just want to give a few, um, a few thoughts and a few ideas, a few keys about how I've kind of approached noble suffering and the things that I've been through in the last few years. Um, and the first one is perseverance. Uh, so I, I have decided I, whatever I feel, whatever happens, I will not give up. And I want to use the circumstances I'm going through to draw me closer to God and not further away. Because there's always that battle that suffering and difficulty can take us away from God. But it can also be an area at time of real growth as well. Uh, Romans 5 verse 3 says that we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. And it actually says that suffering can lead us to hope, which doesn't make much sense to our minds, but it actually has a couple of steps in between. It says suffering leads to endurance, which can strengthen our character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope doesn't lead to disappointment because we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we let God work in us through those times of suffering, we grow, and we can actually grow in hope rather than losing hope, which is amazing. Um, the second key is learning to process conversa uh, questions with God. Um, I don't think that happens by default. I think by default things will go round and round and round in our minds, but we don't always bring them to God. And I think it's taking that um, deliberate time aside to process questions with God and like Habakkuk to stop and listen to what he wants to say and let him speak into our lives. Um, uh, God never rebukes Habakkuk for his questions. It's okay to have them. Like God is not going to be surprised by anything we have to say. He knows our hearts already. Um, the third key has been trying to stay free from bitterness through it all. Um, like anger, frustration, those things are natural. But if they kind of we allow them to um, take root in our lives, it can become resentment and it can take over our lives. So I think um, a couple of things for me that have helped with that is just being forgiveness, continuing to forgive myself, continuing to forgive others, um, and thankfulness, just remembering what I do have. Um, and who God is and who he will always be in the situation that I'm in. Um, 
And also the fourth key, I believe, is compassion and empathy for others. When we go through things, it helps us to have a bet- more grace for others. Um, it can help us pray for others too. The times I've felt the most alone, um, I've tried to think of others like persecuted Christians um, in isolation, in prison cells. Like what I've been through is nothing compared to what they have, but I can just, just a little glimpse of what they might be feeling helps me to pray alongside them. And the truth is that Jesus is, is a God who does that too. Like he is not a distant God who looks at our suffering and goes, oh, I'm sorry. Um, he actually suffers along with us. That's the meaning of, of compassion. Um, and I just want to quickly read um, Hebrews 4, uh, verse 14. It says, Now we know what we have. Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God. Let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. But this goes back to my original point. The gospel is not happy-clappy. It's not insincere. It's not out of touch with reality. It's gritty and it's raw and it speaks right to the heart of who we are as people and our deepest pain and suffering and need. And as a band, if you'd like to come back up, that would be great. Um, there's one more scripture I'd just like to like to read. Um, which is Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like the eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Um, this always feels like the wrong way around, doesn't it? Shouldn't we be walking first, then running, then soaring? But no, God says, soar with me first, encounter me first, then you can run, then you can walk. Um, I think that's what happens when we encounter God. Um, you might feel like that bee had in the picture early, like how can I possibly fly? But the truth is it doesn't depend on us, it depends on God and his grace and his lift and lifting us up in Christ. Um, or maybe like the, the man on the trampoline, every time he, was, he fell back down to that trampoline, there was a, a discipline, like he had learned how to how to rise back up from that trampoline, back up to the steps, and maybe that's something God wanting us to do, just to have that discipline to spend time with him, that every time gravity drags us to the ground, we get back up again because we encounter God. Um, And so as we respond, I think think it would be good to to think, is is there a situation, a particular situation in my life that feels like gravity? right now um, and we've got some post-it notes I think are going to go around and pens um, so thinking if you want to, if there is something that comes to mind maybe take a post-it note on one side write something that relates to gravity or suffering something that's causing pain that you feel you want to be honest about um, and on the other side write maybe a faith statement or a word of faith or something that's the the lift that you believe that Jesus is giving you in that circumstance. And, and in the communion, we'll have a bit of time to pray. And if you, you know, want to share that with somebody or just pray 
through that yourself. Um, that would be great. So, but, um, as the band are about to about to lead us, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you that you suffered, that you suffer with us and alongside us, and you are a God of compassion and you are a God of comfort. Um, Lord, I just pray that you will enable us to have honesty um, in this moment and in our lives with you. Um, have the courage to be honest um, and that you will meet us in that place, Lord, and you will lift us in faith and you will show us what you see about us and what you see about our lives. Yeah, Lord, we fix our eyes on you. You're the author, you're the perfecter of our faith and we choose to rely um, and trust in you. Amen.